1: Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Randy Kurtz with Upper Left
0: Wealth. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Gary.
1: Randy, tell us—you know—how did you how did you get started into the you know the finance industry, and and kind of what 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 gets you up every morning, gets you fired up and going?
0: Oh well, two very different uh, questions. So uh, I'll try to give you the speed version. I got an MBA at Columbia. Uh, And my goal was to be a great stock picker. So I went off to Bear Stearns, worked on a mutual fund, and eventually left Bear Stearns to be a stock picker on my own uh, for essentially wealthy clients. Uh, And it took me about eight years to really figure this out. Uh, I was pretty good at picking stocks, but I was only allocating your U.S. equity money. I wasn't seeing the whole picture. I wasn't seeing the international side. I wasn't seeing the bond side. And I certainly wasn't seeing how this affects your financial plan and what your goals were. All I wanted to do was beat the S&P 500, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people try to do, but it's a really small part of your or a client's goals. Their goals aren't for my U.S. equities. I just want to beat that. Uh, So in 2013, I started experimenting and researching around diversification. Modern portfolio theory, Harry Markowitz, tangency tangency portfolio. What does that really mean, diversification? Uh, And I started realizing that there was so much more I can offer clients. Clients really cared about, hey, I want to be able to make my financial plan work. I wanna make sure my money lasts me for the rest of my life. Not, hey, I need my US equities to outperform the S&P 500. Nobody ever comes into your office and says that's their goal. Their goal is the financial plan and how do all the pieces come together. Uh, and that's really where I had this whole account, everything can change. And I can become a much bigger piece of people's lives and really impact how they make this thing work. And uh, that's when I changed from just picking stocks to uh, world-neutral, global, diversified, risk-oriented financial planning and try to make it so that if a client is on pace, if they've made it so far so, you know age 55, 75, thinking about retirement, in retirement, how do we make sure that this works out for them? Uh, and I love this so much more. This is what uh, wakes me up in the morning. This is what keeps me up as, at night, is how do we make this picture and this product better? How do we better ensure that you make it?
1: Going through with the different businesses and and. Place that you've worked and everything else, you've come up with a a process, a a data-driven process. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, what I found, so as a stock picker, uh, I was in the guessing game. I'm guessing that this stock will do better than average and you're predicting the future and predicting the future is a pretty tough business. Uh, And I realized that if you're going to create a global portfolio, uh, you have two options. And option number one is what I think most people do is they want to be macro investors. Hey, I should invest this much in Japan because these are the things going on with Japan. And I should invest this much in Canada because these are the things going on in Canada. And if you think about that, wow, that's really, really difficult to now have a master overview of all the major countries in the world and their economies and their political situation and their assets. Wow, that's very daunting. Now you have to be a future guesser on all of these things. You can have a process for how do all these pieces come together and what data do we have and facts today that we can use to create that sensible global portfolio. And I said, that is much more uh, my route. I'm an Excel guy. I'm a data guy. I always have been. And being able to use data that we have today to determine what a portfolio should look like when we're thinking about how much should be in the U S versus Japan versus Canada. It's a choice that all investors make, but most of them don't realize they're making it. They don't have a rhyme or reason around it. So I like to use data to help me figure out what to do. I don't want to be in the guessing game anymore. I want to be in the provider of a product game.
1: What are some of the, um, some of the fears that your, that your clients or potential clients have and how do you help overcome those fears.
0: The general arc of a retiree is you spend 40 years, uh, 20 to 60, building assets. Your job is, how do I accumulate as much assets as possible and grow them as much as possible? But once you start to enter retirement, your next 30, 40 years, the whole script flips. And your goal is, well, now that I've got enough money, how do I not mess this up? And that's really the central goal of financial planning is how do we not mess this up? Because once you leave the workforce, it's really difficult three, four or five years later, I have to turn around and say, well, this didn't work out so well. Sure. Now I have to go back, right? That is the fear. The right. fear is if I'm no longer working and I need my money to last for decades, and then maybe even to provide for the next generation, oh, the fear is totally different. And it's how do I not mess this up? How do I keep the boat moving forward but not take such risks so that, Hey, if I retired January 1, 2008, then I would have survived.
1: What are some of the questions that your clients or potential clients, you know, you wish that they asked, but they're not.
0: So the question is, uh, one that most people would never come into a meeting with a financial advisor with, which is what I really focus the conversation about, uh, so, it starts with a quick game that I play with every initial call. And I'll play with you really quickly, Gary. (laughs) Hey, Gary. Uh, Great to see you. We've talked for a little bit. You've got X in assets. And what we're going to do today, Gary, is we're going to play a quick game to determine what happens to your assets over the next 12 months. Now, Gary, here's the rules. First, you're going to imagine all of your assets on the table in front of you. Now, if you have a good imagination, you're looking at the largest stack of money you've ever seen. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put two coins on the table. One is a nickel. And one is a quarter. And you, Gary, have to choose which one you want to pick up. Now, if you choose to pick up the nickel, I'm going to ask you to flip it in the air. If that nickel lands on heads, you'll be up 5%. If it lands on tails, you'll be down 5%. Or, Gary, you could choose to pick up the quarter. If you pick up the quarter, you're going to flip it in the air. If it lands on heads, you'll be up 25%. But if it lands on tails, you'll be down 25%. Now, Gary, with all of your money, which of the two coins do you want to pick up today? Go for the nickel. The nickel, of course, because if you're already at the tail end of your 40 working years, you now care more about messing it up. You care more about risk than you do return. But it's not the thought process that we've grown up with in America when it comes to investing. We see returns, returns, returns everywhere, on CNBC, on the internet, on every single monthly and quarterly statement you've ever received, is your returns to two decimal points. We're not used to risk, you don't see it anywhere. But your thoughts have changed at this point to I actually care about, I want the nickel. I want to not mess this up. Maybe you want the dime, right? But I'm forcing the thing. So it's really this conversation about risk and what risk is, which is our range of outcomes. And how do you go about trying to control risk, trying to steer the boat towards the nickel or the dime, but steer it away from the quarter? Because once you jump into retirement, you can't have the quarter. You can't see it down 25, 30%. It's just too devastating to the financial plan. So it's really that focus on driving everything towards risk and having that conversation for the first time in most people's lives.
1: It's, I mean, you, your approach is definitely uh, different than you know what I've kind of seen mainstream uh, with advisors. So it's definitely uh, a different concept for most people to, to hear. Uh, what are some of the other things that you do with your clients that kind of differentiate your style from other advisors?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. There's a couple things. Number one, on the portfolio side, uh, I believe people have three buckets of money. Generally bucket. Number one, most people have some money where, Hey, this money over here, I just want to keep this safe. And that's safety bucket bucket. Number one bucket. Number two is, Hey, uh, for most of my money. I want to keep my money moving forward over time, compounding at a reasonable rate of return. Mm -hmm. That's for most of our money. And then some people have a third bucket. It's, hey, for this money over here, I just want to go for it and take big risks, try to hit a home run, maybe strike out. But three different buckets, a conservative, a core, and an aggressive. Uh, So one of the things I do uh, as a money manager is I only have three products to offer, a conservative, a core, and aggressive. I never have a, oh Gary, for you, this is what your core bucket looks like. But for me, my core bucket looks different. And for my mother, her core bucket, no, that doesn't make sense. I, as a money manager, can make one best attempt at bucket number one, keep our money safe, bucket number two, keep it growing over time, and bucket number three, aggressive. So that's one thing that sort of sets me apart is I only have three things to offer from a money management perspective, core, conservative, and aggressive. There is no actual Gary portfolio. It's your mix between those two or three will be unique to you in your financial plan. Uh, but there is no actual, oh, for you, your portfolio should look different than mine or somebody else's. Uh, and then second, it's being a personal CFO. Uh, everything with a dollar sign in your life, I should be able to run the numbers on and explain it to you so that you can then make a more educated decision. Getting a mortgage most people will just say well I'll t- take a 30-year fixed mortgage but for a lot of people that's totally the wrong thing to do depending on what their needs or goals are so it's really running numbers and explaining them to people in ways that they can then make a good decision for themselves
1: that's great because i i know that my personal belief is you know if you can help educate people and teach them where they understand it then that does that gives them more options and they're able to better make decisions that's for sure what are some of the common mistakes that you're seeing people make
0: uh there's a ton of guessing with your money and it's rampant out there you know people think especially with individual stocks it's the most common mistake of someone says hey uh i just bought apple and I'll say why and they say well cuz I think it's going to make more money next year it's going to do great i say right but everyone knows it's going to make more money next year i mean cisco if you bought it in 2000 and held it for 10 held it for 10 years over those 10 years its profits more than doubled but the stock price was down over those 10 years and everyone knows that apple's going to make more money next year facebook's going to make more money but that's not enough there are odds implied in that and they don't have to just make more money next year. They have to make more money than everyone thinks they're gonna make. So if I I wanted to ever push somebody on a, hey, I just purchased Apple, one of the things I'll say is, hey, what do you think that's interesting about their balance sheet? You know, mathematical representation of their assets and liabilities. And just that very simple question is enough for everyone to say, I don't know. And then I'll say, well, then you don't really know what you're doing, you're just guessing. Right. just guessing with your money uh, that is really, really odd and rampant.
1: Not saying that this is guessing, but many people uh, will use a just an online version as compared to using a professional like you. Um, but besides the guessing, why why should somebody use a professional like you to help with their you know their life savings?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, a uh, the computers these days uh, can't give advice. Mm -hmm. I can't go to any of these places and say, hey, uh, you know, I've been in my house for 30 years, I want to retire, and my house is paid off, I want to move in Florida, should I keep my old house and rent it out or not? How does this impact my financial plan? How do I analyze that? And when I do move to Florida, what's the best mortgage for me? Uh, What's the difference in my life and my odds of success? If I want to spend an extra $10,000 every year, what change is that for me? And how does that, can you make me understand the difference in my odds of making it if I want to do that? And so all of these questions, uh, computers can't answer today. Aside from the portfolio being totally different, Uh uh, computers can't answer these questions for you.
1: Kind of going back, I mean, you've touched on mortgages and things like that. Um, and obviously, you know, you help individuals put together a plan. So how often do you meet with your clients to possibly adjust this plan or to make sure that, you know, the plan that you, that you've helped them create, you're still going in the right direction with?
0: Uh, so my typical process is my system will actually reach out to every client quarterly and will say, Hey, it's that time of the quarter. Why don't you hop on my calendar and let's check. And it's obviously up to the client whether this works for them at that point and whether they want to do it or not. Uh, And then also clients have access to my calendar all year. So if my quarterly emails don't uh, align with their needs, they just hop on. Uh, Once a year is the minimum. Four times a year is great because you always have things to discuss and plan on. Uh, One time a year is the minimum, but it's not necessarily saying, hey, here's where you were last year. Let's just rerun the cash flow forecast and the Monte Carlo forecast. Because you think about last year. Last year, overall, from a return standpoint, was a great year. If you were on pace January of last year and you didn't mess it up, uh, you were more than on pace at the end of the year. So it's not so necessary to say, hey, let's rerun the same numbers and get better answers. But it's, hey, we're coming to the end of the year. Uh, let's see what's going on in your financial picture. We were doing a lot of Roth conversions last year, partial conversions. Mm -hmm. Hey, what sort of income do you have so far? And let's see what tax bracket you're in and what sort of wiggle room we have and running uh, future projections of tax tiers, which is one of the most interesting things. Not only is your, what's your tax tier today, but what happens to most retirees, if you retire at 65, your tax rate is really low until 70 or now 72 when you have to take rmds right. and once you hit those rmds you jump up so you might be in tax tier 12 2 with 12 percent, but eventually you'll be in tax tier 3 or 4 22 or 24 percent. and we want to capture those early years or you might be in 22 24 now and you're going to jump into 32 in seven years so we want to use this time to do partial roth conversions to Look at the overall lifetime tax picture. Uh, So those are really the sort of things that you really need to dive into annually. Not so much of, hey, let's do an annual review and uh, Uh, see if you're still on pace. It's what things can we do today to actually change it. Financial planning, to me, is so much about what actions can we take today.
1: Yeah, I like like you talking about the... The Roth conversion and and even partial uh, conversions because I think that that's something that that everybody really needs to be looking at um, with you know COVID and all the money that's been given out and so forth that tax rates have to go up to pay this bill that that we have created now so it is going to make a difference and you may still be at the same income level but you know you're going to jump a couple tax brackets just because of of taxes. And right now, I mean, we're at a historic low in tax rates. So, uh, you know, now is definitely the time to, to do the planning. You've worked with a, a big variety of people, different walks of life and things like that. What is, um, something that you've gotten from that, that you've learned from it, uh, that you would like to share with
0: us? One of the big themes is retiring is one of the scariest things somebody can do. Uh, it's really terrifying. Uh, working for 40 years and then saying, I'm done, and I hope this is going to work out. Uh, so one, having an understanding of how scary this is and how much preparation you really need as an individual to be able to make that leap leap confidently. Uh, and then also seeing how people uh, deal with retirement, what they do in retirement uh, is really interesting. And I find that, uh, a lot of the most successful retirements start with a partial work retirement. Mm -hmm. Because uh, just leaving a nine to five job, uh, five days a week and doing nothing and saying, what am I gonna do on Monday? Uh, Is a little bit weird of a leap, but being able to say, you know what? I'm just gonna have a lot more free time, but I'm gonna work two days a week uh, on this new project with somebody else. One, it gives you a purpose rather than just jumping into nothing, but also it brings in some money. And just bringing in literally 20% of what you used to make on those first few years is a difference maker when you think about the odds of success. So it not only increases their odds of success, but makes the transition into retirement much easier. Uh, and I think that's really an interesting theme that I've seen for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you lots of times. When I uh, meet with my clients before they retire, you know, I always ask them, okay, do you have your plan? And they always think I'm talking about the financial plan, and I'm thinking more. You know, life plan. What are you going to do? Because you know, especially if, if one spouse has retired before the other, it's like, hey, they kind of have their routine and they like having their coffee at a certain time. And now you're going to be infringing on that. And let you know, let's make sure we have a have a plan. If it's volunteering or whatever, it's again a reason to get up every morning, um, or at least certain mornings to to do that. What is a, a question that I haven't asked you that you wish I would have?
0: You know, a lot of my business comes to guessing. You know, and I say this to a lot of uh prospects. I say, uh, do you think you're guessing in your investments? And they'll say, "No, I don't think so." You know, even if they have a current financial advisor. And I'll say, "Well, let's think about it. Um without looking at your portfolio, I bet you that you have some exposure to Japanese stocks. You have an ETF with international in it somewhere." And within that, there's Japanese stocks. And I'll always get a Yeah, yeah, we have some international stuff. And I say, great. I bet you don't know what your exposure is to Japan. And I bet you are advisors. If you call them up right now and say, what percent of my money is in Japanese equities, they wouldn't be able to tell you. They'll, they can run some math for you, hang up, run the numbers and figure it out. But when they come back to you and say, hey, you have 1.5% of your money in Japanese stocks. The question is, well, why is it 1.5? Why isn't it one or four? And when you ask that question, there is no answer. It's a guessing game. And it's really thinking about uh, finance and where are we actually guessing? With the portfolio we're guessing, with our split between how much for you should be in conservative and how much should be in core. That's a guess, your latest mortgage was a guess. How so much guessing, and it's really thinking about where are we guessing in our life, in our financial life, and what can we do about
1: that? That's pretty pretty powerful. So, if if our audience listeners have liked what they've heard and they really want to reach out and and talk to you, um, how can they reach you?
0: Uh, My website is upperleftwealth.com. And you can hop on there. You can actually schedule an appointment with me uh, straight through the website. And that's the easiest way to get in contact with me.
1: Randy, I really appreciate your time today. Um, Like I said, I mean, you you definitely have a. a different philosophy in the way that you handle uh, investing. And it's definitely refreshing to, to hear something new.
0: Thanks for the time, Gary. Really had a lot of fun.
1: Appreciate it. Today, our guest was Randy Kurtz with Upper Left Wealth. Thank you.
0: This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.